Hey, good morning, church. How many are, I know this is such a Canadian thing way to start. I shouldn't even do this. It's very against what you're supposed to do as a public speaker, but I can't help it because we're friends. How many are excited it's going to snow today? <laughs> we have uh, our mission. Are we gonna, did I just cause division in the church? I'm really sorry. Did you? Oh, you were giving them bad, bad, uh, bad face. We have um, a very special guest from Africa today, so it's fitting that we get our first snow. Uh, Jeremy, did you bring your winter coat with you? <laughs> oh, friends, we are in the middle of a, a series about finding hope and understanding that we are people of hope when we are in Christ. And so I, uh, I want to just, I'm excited about dropping into this particular message because um, it was set and we had what we were going to be talking about this morning and then I found out that Jeremy was going to be with us today. And so, <laughs> poor guy, he can't show up to the church without me being like, hey, want to say some stuff to some people about some things? And he's always so game. So we're going we're gonna to start I was certainly still in our topic today, and we're going to have a chance to, uh, to ask Jeremy some questions about what's going on in Ethiopia, uh, Middle East, and uh, other parts of Africa where he ministers, and then uh, ask him some questions that relate to today's topic. So, are you guys excited? Let's go. So, my question on, uh, on online this week was, uh, what was the, when was the last time, or what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Do you guys see that on our socials? Yeah, we totally did, Tracy. We've been thinking about it all week deeply in our spirits, and we're ready. Uh, but think about the last time someone gave you a really great piece of advice. Did you know that you were getting good advice at the time? Uh, were you grateful for it? Or were you, like, uncomfortable with it? Mind your own business kind of a feeling. Um, did you seek out advice, or did you get cornered by it? Do you know what I mean? Parents can do that, right? We corner our children with the advice, whether it's wanted or not. One of the responses I got, which was a really great one, when I was asking about, um, in our email devotional and online, about some the best advice you ever got in your life, says this, advice from my dad in any situation was, ask God and he'll direct you. Using Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight as his proof. And this has been proven true in my life in, in any and all circumstances. What a great uh, legacy, parents, right? To, to, that's, if that's what you remember about your parent, that in every situation you face, that you came to that. So I would say that's some really good advice. But how would you feel, I mean, this would maybe not be a good example of that, but that last piece of advice you got that was, that was really good, that you really needed, whether you wanted to receive it in that moment or not, how would you feel if that advice was written down for you in a letter, okay, and then after um, after you read it, we got to read it to the whole church. <laughs> That's a little bit of a different scenario, isn't it? I mean, a lot of good things could come out of it, right? Like, just like I just read this, this uh, response to the email. Maybe we all would learn something. That's kind of, that would be the idea. We would all be encouraged by it. Maybe we would all take that advice to heart. But if you're the subject of that letter, it's a little bit vulnerable, isn't it? <laughs> It's just a little vulnerable. But that's exactly what's happening in First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, three letters that are written in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul to two, uh, two younger pastors. Uh, Timothy is, uh, so two letters to Timothy, that's why they're called First and Second. Literally, that's the reason. So don't, it's not any bigger than that. First and Second Timothy written um, to Timothy who was pastoring in Ephesus. Titus was written to um, uh, a pastor who was pastoring in Crete. And this old, the older Paul, the apostle, was giving them advice. But um, 
And, and if you ever hear, we've talked about this before, these are the, we call these the pastoral epistles, which is a very fancy way to say letters written to these pastors. Letters, right? Epistles just means letters. So in this case, we have uh, Paul writing to these younger pastors, teaching, correcting, guiding, training, essentially giving great advice, godly advice. And this, these letters are addressed to them, but they are also intended to be read to the whole church. That's why we have them in the canon of Scripture. And so there's some definite, did you know that? There's some definite vulnerability in that when you think of out the, the original context of these letters being written. But, but this was also helpful to the whole church because they, we, they needed to know what this elder, uh, this elder wanted them, their pastor to know and to focus on and to correct and to step out in. And because, spoiler alert, it was also what he wanted them to know and to grow in and to step out in. And if you're a parent, you've probably done this a hundred times. Okay, or I have. Okay, I'll just be, I'll just be, maybe you've done this too. I'll, I, you say to one kid, hey, hey, this is what it's like in my house. You'd be like, I'm glad. Hey, don't leave your dishes in the sink. The dishwasher is right there. When you leave your dishes in the sink, it communicates to the whole house that you think somebody else is going to clean up after you, and that's not nice. That's not how we do that, okay? So you don't leave your dishes in the sink. You're saying it to one child, and then you go, is everybody hearing me? You know this vibe? Like, does everybody, including the spouse, hear me in this situation? Just saying. I'm not saying that happens at my house. I'm saying you might relate. Like, that might be something that has happened at your house before. Do you know what I mean? Not at my house, but that's what happens. I've heard from other families. Just being real. So, but you know what I mean, this advice that you're giving to one person, but it's for them, it's certainly for them, but it's for everyone. That's kind of the vibe of these pastoral epistles, these letters from Paul to these younger pastors. So we're going to listen in on that, this, this, uh, this uh, vibe here, because um, in the context of landing in this message in our Season of Hope series here, our little October, November mini-series is overcoming in the present, like right now in the moments, these moments in your life. Paul tells Timothy, um, how he can win. You know, we talked about that last week about winning. How he can overcome whatever is facing him and whatever is facing their church. And, and he's saying that to Timothy and also kind of saying, is everybody hearing me? Is everybody hearing me? Want to listen in? Okay, we can because it's here in the canon of scripture. Uh, let's go turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Of course, it's in the YouVersion app under more and then events and you can find it already preloaded for you there. But if you're new to scriptures, there's also Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. You can grab it there. First Timothy is close to the end. A little book might be a little hard to find, but you will, you will get there. And we are going to step, instead of reading the whole thing like we typically do, I'm going to just step through it, and we're going to land at the end of it together. So here we go. First Timothy chapter 4, starting right at verse 1. It says this, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So right here, right off the top, Paul is saying to Timothy, the Spirit clearly says. Like, the things I'm about to say to you are obvious if you have your spiritual radar up and you're paying attention. So if you're paying attention to what the Lord is doing, to what the Spirit is doing, this, it's, it's very clear that these, what I'm about to tell you is, is, is what's actually happening. So you really need to pay attention because the Holy Spirit really is, he's not hiding this, that these things are being made known, but you do need to be paying attention, verse 2. 
such teachings, so this is the things, the deceiving spirits and things taught by demons, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That is a, an incredibly terrifying picture. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So a few weeks ago we talked about this, a very common, uh, a very common teaching that was going around in these early churches was uh, Gnosticism, uh, which when you, when you break down Gnosticism really uh, very simply, oversimplifying really, is to reject all material things, like the physical body is evil, the physical world is evil, um, and, uh, and we're looking for another spiritual experience. Everything is spiritual, um, and, and it was just a, an incorrect teaching, chasing after spiritual experiences instead of centering their lives on Christ and the, and the true gospel that they had been taught. So uh, again, this is being addressed here to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus and saying this, this is what's being taught, that there are some things that are good and some things that are bad, and that is just, it's just not true. Receive things with thanksgiving and be free is, is sort of the idea here. We thank God for everything because everything is from him. So the rest of it is just nonsense. Verse 6, he says, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Point these things out. Uh, in, in the original language here, point these things out is kind of the, the best, maybe, it's a, it's a, maybe I don't know if the best, but the, an English way to say um, in a gentle, modest, humble word. Not a issuing directives to people, but sort of like uh, point these things out. Remind people of the things that they already know. Bring back to their attention the things that they have already learned. And don't let, don't let anything else distract from that. Let them, let them rediscover in their own hearts the truths that, that they know are true and that the Holy Spirit is confirming in their lives. Um, give the Spirit the place to convict and transform. That's what you've got to point. Bring them back to this. Bring them back to this, he's saying to Timothy. And here's a really cool picture that I found as I was studying this. That the, the, the root of this phrase in the Greek, to point these things out has a word picture attached to it, which means thinking about like treacherous ground, like a really rocky path that's really unstable. Pointing things, these things out, the root of that word means placing solid stepping stones down. Isn't that a cool picture? So by pointing these things out, it's like taking the, all of these confusing things that are coming into this church and saying, hey, um, I'm going to put these solid stepping stones down and I want you to walk this path. Remember the things that we were taught at first, the true message of the gospel, not all of this other stuff that's confusing and dividing the church and causing all these problems. Uh, I'm going to point these things, I want you to point these things out and put like these solid stepping stones in front of the church. It's a great picture, eh? Verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Like, avoid getting lost in the side issues. Oh, they're friends. There's so many side issues. So many side. I don't know. Let's not even talk about the side issues. But let's stay true. Stay true in the center. Verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, training in godliness develops the whole person. Physical training is awesome, but uh, training in godliness is 
great for the whole person. And it's not just great for this life, but it's, it, it's like something that you train for for eternal results, not just so that you can eat that piece of cake, okay? That's maybe why I train in the, in the present. I want to eat the cake. But he's saying that now with the spiritual training, God, training in godliness means you're going to have eternal results, things that are going to last forever, verse 10. That's why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. B, there's so, there is so much in that passage. Uh, Pastor Ethan landed a little bit in this passage a couple of weeks ago as well. But be devoted to, literally continue to. There's in that, there's the verb tense means continue to, not start to do it, but continue to and don't stop giving yourself to these things, to give yourself and apply yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, which means like exhortation or encouragement or consolation of the body, and to teaching, like continue to do these things. In verse 15, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Give yourself wholly to them uh, really translates into something like that's not, it's awkward in English, but it really translates to something like be in these. Like be in these. Give yourself wholly to them. Like be, like let your life be literally in these. Live them. Breathe them. This is your life. This is not a job that you do, Timothy. This is who you are. These are, you be in them. And if you do that, everyone will see your progress. And that's going to matter in verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So in contrast, remember where we started in verse 1, in contrast to the false teachers, uh, he's saying these, these are the things that should mark the life of a follower of Christ. Not all of that other nonsense that they're teaching. And if you do that, it will have an incredible impact, an incredible impact on your life and everyone that your life touches. And so in essence, in essence if, you, if you're looking in, in the scripture here, verses 1 to 5, it's like, uh, is like this is the world, this is what's coming in, this is the false teaching, and verses uh, 6 to 16 is like this is you and your church. This is, how you are to, you, this is how you are to respond, this is how you are to live. And what always arrests my attention in this passage is, is verse 16. I always get stuck here in a good way. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, it will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch closely. Really watch closely. In other words, if you don't, like the implication is, if you don't watch these things, how you live your life, what you really believe about Christ, what you're, like that's the doctrine, like what, where, where, are you, where your belief really lies, where your faith really lies. If you don't watch these things, they will slip away. You'll be led astray. You won't even realize it. You have to be diligent in these things. He says, persevere. In other words, it's something that has to be done all the time, season by season, every single day, every week, every month, every year. Persevere. Never stop. This is going to be worth it. This is something to apply your effort to. And then he says, and it will save both yourself and your hearers, which in our context, just for fun, for this month, I'll say, you will win. It's, that's how we win with our witness. 
because the effort that you put in will be totally worth it. So why watch and persevere and engage in the struggle of keeping these things so closely guarded? Because the goal is incredible. The goal is incredible both for this life and the life to come. And it will make every difficult day that you go through worthwhile when you see the blessing in this life and you experience the blessing of eternity with Christ. So we've talked about overcoming through the word. Last week we talked about Jesus and him being tempted and responding with the word. And in this this message this morning, we learned that we also overcome by our witness. And we had word, and now we have witness. I'm not usually into alliteration, guys, but I was just feeling so great about it as I was putting this series together. Does anybody want to guess what next week is? You get 10 points if you can shout it out right now. Word, witness, and we are also going to win with our... Who said it? Did you look ahead? Adam gets 10 points because next week is worship. That's correct. Okay. Uh, I was like, did you see it in the planning center? Because that's cheating. Okay. Yeah. And also cheating for you, Pastor Aaron. You're not allowed to answer. Because uh, <laughs> she also has seen it. She, she's seen the plan. So uh, we've, talked about, we've talked about those things. And so we're looking here at the advice to Timothy. And it's difficult, but it's crucial for his life, and it's for all of us as well, which says you can silence criticism by your conduct. He, Paul doesn't say to Timothy, when all of these problems come into your life, out-argue them or outright them or outthink them. He said set an example with your words and your life. Set an example with your love, this agape love that you, we often talk about from Scripture, like that, that love that seeks the good of others above all things. It's never bitter or resentful or vengeful. It always forgives. It doesn't hold on to grudges. Um, and, and sometimes love is easy in our lives. There are some people that are just really easy to love, we really click with. That's normal. Um, but Christian love is this agape love is a choice of our will. It's a choice of our will, and it's an act of worship. And Paul says to Timothy, set an example in that kind of love in your conduct. He says, set an example in your faith, that loyalty, that faithfulness to Christ, that no matter what comes, no matter what it costs you, no matter what circumstance is in your life, that you can set an example and say, my faith, uh, my faith is solid in Christ. I will not move from the true gospel that I have received I will not move from it. And set an example for others in that. And set an example in purity. That allegiance to the standard of Christ, to the commands of Christ, to, the, to setting aside of sin, to setting aside of those old behaviors and those things that, that don't please God and, and saying, I'm going to set an example in how, in how I live my life in purity. And the witness of your life will win the day. And the witness of your life will win the day. Does this mean that... Um, Everybody will like you and agree with you and realize that they're wrong and you're right all the time. <laughs> you're not even like, you can't even take the sentence seriously, right? Absolutely not. I mean, I wish. That'd be so amazing. But what this does do, what, what Paul is, is setting up for Timothy is he's saying, listen, what this does do is it gives you and the people in your life, you and the people in your life, a fighting chance to experience Jesus every day. Because when he says it will save both yourself and your hearers, that word save literally means salvation. And, and he's saying that you're, you're working out your salvation in front of others. You're living it out in front of others with awe and reverence in front of God. And when you do that, you show other people Jesus. You show them what grace and mercy looks like as you're being forgiven and as you are growing and as you're maturing in Christ. You show them Jesus. You show them um, his work in your life. 
And that that can happen for somebody else's life too. You show them his forgiveness and his freedom living out in your life. And they can see that in you and know they can have it for themselves too. You, you, that you see his, the Holy Spirit helping and guiding and gifting you. And other people can understand that that is an experience they can have in Christ as well. Timothy isn't only working out his own salvation and walking that out, but he's doing that by helping others to do the same. And so the question is, um, how does the witness of my life help me to overcome the struggles and give me hope today? How does that even work? I'm so glad you asked. I write that a lot in my messages. I'm so glad you asked because I just assume that you will. And from this passage, we can clearly see that one person... um, can have a huge impact on somebody else. In fact, they do. I mean, we already know this, don't we, from what we talked about a few months ago about the body of Christ. What one of us does affects the rest of us, or doesn't do, for that matter. We understand that we're connected, that we are connected to the head, and that that means we're all connected to one another. So we understand that the witness of our lives truly does affect the people around us, in the body of Christ, in our families, in our workplaces. But what you might not realize is that what you do to impact others also has a huge impact on you. And then when your life is impacted by others, it also has an impact on others whose lives have an impact on you, which then impacts others. You understand what I'm saying? When we're aware of how our lives are affecting others, it wakes us up to things that we may have been unaware of or unwilling to change. I had a story in here that I don't have time to tell you this morning. But let's just say if you're a parent or have little people in your lives at all, how many of you have noticed that your tone of voice is a little bit broken because you've heard it in your children, either back to you or to their siblings? Or something that you're doing, they're imitating, and it's very irritating to you, (laughs) right? It's sort of this concept where when you see reflected back at you some things that helps you to understand what things need to be changed and matured in your own life. What you do with your life matters. This is not a lesson just for leaders. This is a reminder that we all have influence and that we all have the option to win with our witness every day. And, and I think when you, when you understand this concept, you put yourself in a very, very good place for spiritual growth and for spiritual health. Because if you know that your life can be a witness to others, it brings an awareness to the things that you need to grow in and then also what you can offer to others from your life. Because we don't do this spiritual life alone. So essentially, being aware of your witness brings you a beautiful gift and that gift is accountability. So it's not just you fighting this battle alone. So the questions for today... uh, are, are, you, are, you, are you winning with the witness of your life for both yourself and for your hearers, the people that your life touches? Is that something that you could say about yourself? You hear the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, hear him sort of saying, hey, and this is for all of you as well. And if not, what would need to change in your life for that to be true? What kinds of things, what kinds of relationships, what kinds of uh, uh, conversations, what kinds of things would have to change? What kinds of habits would need to be set aside? What kind of sin would need to be repented of? I don't know, you can fill in the blank there as the Lord leads you. What would need to change so that your life could look like what Paul is describing to Timothy? 
as someone who can save both themselves and their hearers. I think it's an interesting challenge. And so um, I, I, uh, I've dis- I decided to uh, ask some experts, an expert, about this. <laughs> and um, it's an honor this morning. I've already mentioned that Jeremy Feller is here with us this morning. Jeremy is one of our mission partners. He's the regional director for Africa for the POC. He's been serving with his wife, Teresa, in Ethiopia and um, other places. But he's based in Ethiopia for 18 years according to the website. I could have just asked you, but I looked at the website instead. Uh, they have four kids, uh, Betty and Tim, who are nine. Zoe is seven, and Ruthie Dunham is 18. Uh, that's my oldest daughter, and she's there living with them right now, actually. <laughs> so we've just, she, they've adopted her for a few months, and she's uh, living and serving with them in Ethiopia right now. Do you guys know that? Ruthie's, like, in Ethiopia. Did you guys, some of you guys are like, you sent your kid off the continent? I know, I know. But she's in really good hands, so she's living with the fellers. Um, and ministering with them and um, having that experience until some unknown time in the spring when she buys a ticket to come home. Um, And so I've invited Jeremy to come and help us unpack this principle this morning because he has such a a boots-on-the-ground perspective on what it looks like to have your life be a witness for others and uh, and, and kind of those things. So I'm going to invite Jeremy. Why don't we welcome Jeremy as he comes? What's that? You're good. Well, they're bringing us some. Heaven forbid we'd stand for this whole thing, Jer. Getting soft. Hello, Jeremy Feller. Hello. So, the the burning question for our church today is, how's Ruthie doing? Uh, we all we're all dying to know, aren't we? Well, some of them I, like really were like, you Ruthie's seriously not in the country? They didn't know. No, I didn't, Ruthie's with us and. It is amazing to have her. She's doing very well, connecting into our kids' school and another school, kind of exploring what her future could be like. Uh, Tracy thinks Ruthie's coming back in the spring. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, (laughs) we have not had that conversation. (laughs) Uh, She thinks that. (laughs) But there's a thing called a passport that just we can't seem to find. Uh We love having Ruthie with us. She's just... She's settled in. She's at peace. Uh, Some of you might be aware there's some tension happening in Ethiopia right now. And Ruthie's just uh, at peace. And so it's it's a blessing to have her around. She's helping our kids. Uh, Betty, our our Bethany, she just climbs up. And Zoe gets right in Ruthie's face. And there's no (laughs) separation. They're just, they're all in. And there's somebody to play games with. Yeah, all the time. So it's it's awesome. All the time. She's doing great. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't. I hadn't seen Jeremy yet until he showed up for church this morning. So uh, over lunch, I'll be getting the full <laughs> the full update. Uh, but uh, so for anybody who doesn't know you, Jeremy, can you tell us just uh, what you do in Ethiopia? That's your base, but it's not all you do. And what kind of an outline of what your ministry looks like? So in Ethiopia, we have a variety of ministries that include our local church, Addis Christian Life Assembly. So we're part of the leadership team there and work on discipling particularly young people, young families, and it's primarily an English-speaking church, but that's changed this past year during COVID as our whole community is becoming more, uh, um, not becoming commercial, but moving to be residential. And so we started an Amharic service, and that's taking off as new community members are coming to faith in Christ. We work with a Bible college and regional training programs, doing a lot of teaching, Terry has been doing a lot of English teaching there and then also into the community 
where we would have the Somali community, different Ethiopian communities, where she is able to gain access into those communities teaching English. And then from Ethiopia to serve across Africa and the Middle East, where we have workers or partners and there's an opportunity to help move the kingdom along. Sometimes that's promoting, sometimes that's dealing with not nice things, you know, when you come into people, everything is not beautiful. And what? so sometimes we have conflict and challenges and we just need more of God's grace to move things along. Right. But in this season, this last year, there's been a lot of challenges, but there's been a lot of good things. Mm. You know, sometimes concluding things is not nice, but it's necessary. And that allows us to step forward into new things. So I don't know if that answers, yeah. but that's a glimpse of our life. Yeah. So uh, if we're here, like we are one of your supporting churches, <clears throat> and we're such an honor to do that, tell us what you would want us to know about what God is doing in, I know we could do this all day, <laughs> uh, but what God is, God is doing in Ethiopia, Middle East, Africa, like what are some of the things that you think that would be important for us to know what's going on there? So let me give you one that's happening in Ethiopia, one in the Middle East or North Africa, and one in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. So in Ethiopia, our local church, we've gone through this little transition of starting to add an Amharic service because our community started to change. And on Friday evenings, we added an Amharic service. People started getting saved. So this year, we've had about five baptismal services, you know, two, three, four, five, six people getting baptized each time. And it's just taking off. And with English and Amharic, I, I don't preach in Amharic. Uh, we have some of our team, Mamusha and Abraham and Robbie that speak in Amharic, do all the preaching and teaching, but I'm leading the English side and we're just seeing young families, youth, young adults coming to faith in Christ or mm -hmm. re reigniting something that's been dormant. Mm -hmm. And one very exciting thing for me is last year, in the midst of COVID, a young fella in one of the English schools had this encounter with Christ. And he was a drug dealer involved in all kinds of immoral things. And his mom had been praying for years. And through a series of events, his mom turned away from the faith. And now he has an encounter with Christ. Hmm. He's got an older sister and an older brother that were studying in America. They have come back. He starts sharing with them. Then his dad, who is hostile to the church because you know, church people sometimes do really bad things. Mm. And he just wanted nothing to do. And he has a younger sister who comes to our kid's school. And so through a series of events, we meet him. And we're able to meet his sister and his older brother and walk with them through faith. And then walk with the younger sister to come to faith in Christ. And the dad's still a bit resistant last Sunday he came to church and was baptized awesome yeah Amen. and so God's Amen. God's working yeah in and that's just one glimpse of a few people that have come to faith this last season from our small English church it's it's not this mega thing it's just simple walking out our faith we're broken but we're pushing in for Christ to be revealed in that season and some of those stories are happening. I could keep going in our local church. One other thing in Ethiopia is the, the rural house church movement that because of COVID, we can't do 
big events. But house churches are taking off and they're being accepted because that's where most people function. And what was resisted before is taking off and Mm. thousands upon thousands and thousands of house churches have started this year, particularly in Islamic communities. So God is on the move and from our hearts we say thank you for partnering with us to see these things happen. Mm -hmm. There's more stories we could tell but we'll we'll stop there for the moment. In in Middle East and North Africa, there's something that you should be aware of and, and pray into that there are many people that have no access to the gospel. And we can't just run into them. You're talking about witnessing today. We can't run up to them and say, Jesus is Lord, get saved. We need to find a way to build a bridge into their community so that we can share Jesus as good news. Mm -hmm. Shouting Jesus as Lord is not good news to somebody. That's good news to me, and I feel like, hey, I've done my job. But it's not good news to somebody. And so in North Africa, we are working on, there's a new project we're working on with some of our workers to develop a skills training and, you know, job skills, employability, small business incubation for North Africa and the Middle East. And the dream is that by 2030, in like nine years, we would have multiple centers where The gospel is a lighthouse from there, that people are seeing Jesus as good news throughout that portion of the world where there is very little access to the hope that is ours. And our cry is that they will see Jesus as good news. Yeah, it's good. In sub-Saharan Africa, Mm -hmm. there's lots of good things happening, but uh, let me share one thing. I just came back from Tanzania about three weeks ago. I was in Tanzania. Uh, there's a, a couple named Julius and Jade Kenyamanyara. And last year, our sister Jade, many of you would know her, she passed away uh, just a year ago at the end of this month. And Julius has continued with his boys to serve in, in Mwanza, Tanzania. And one of the things they did, it's a year ago last week, they planted a church called Petra City Church. Small urban church they're planting in the city of Mwanza. And in that church, there's all these young, vibrant people. And Julius has has stepped away for a season for him and and the boys to be able to get some counseling and healing. But in the midst of that, God is at work in this small urban church that's rising up. And in another city, another urban church has started with a friend of Julius and Jane's that has started an urban church not this massive mega church, a small church of solid people who have a desire for Jesus to be exalted in the cities of Tanzania. Mm. And that's one of our cries across Africa. You know, Africa has had very little urbanization compared to the rest of the world. We're less than 50% urbanized in Africa. But that trend is rapidly taking off. Mm. We need good urban churches that are not, you know, big monstrosities or meccas, but places that people encounter Jesus as good news. They're coming in to the city. It's an opportunity for hope. And so Tanzania is one of those places that we see God at work. And we could go everywhere, but those are a couple examples that you could be aware of and pray into what God is doing. Yeah, we could do that all day. Could we do this all day? How much time you guys got today? Just asking. So when you look at our, I gave you the heads up, what we were talking yeah, about yeah. this morning, obviously. So looking back at our passage from 1 Timothy, 
How do you see that principle, this idea that our lives are a witness and there is immense growth that happens in us, but also in others, so then in us, and then so then in others. So like, what's, where do you see that in your life and ministry? Well, you, you, you talked about laying foundations. And I think that has been a key for me, mm-hmm. having good foundations laid from our, our background, where I grew up, the family that input into me, the ministries that input into me. But now watching that, you know, with, with those in our English fellowship that are coming to faith in Christ, yeah. we get to... I get to disciple them, to spend time with them. And the key is those foundations. You mentioned that we get distracted by side issues. We could spend all day talking on side issues. But what's the core? Jesus is at the center. It's it's not me. And that is, that's hard because I'm a selfish guy. Hmm. But it's not me. And that foundation is Jesus is at the center. If we're doing pre-marriage counseling... We're not talking just about money and communication and sexuality. We're talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. The center of a marriage has to be Jesus. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about a community of faith, it's, it's not what I want. It's not what you want. Yeah. It's not my preference. It's Jesus. Yeah. That foundation. Yeah. The other side that you brought up is this, this guarding yeah. life, this daily reflection. and That's hard every day. But if we reflect, if we evaluate, if we... We check ourselves daily, this discipline, discipline my body, yeah. not just to eat cake. That's, what? I like pie <laughs> better than cake. He may or may not have ordered a pumpkin pie from my mother for lunch today. So <laughs> I, I like pie. <laughs> and I'll, I'll exercise a bit for pie. But oh, yeah. <laughs> but not all the time. And those spicy dill pickle chips and, yeah, yeah. you know, all those things that just... They pull on us, right? All those <laughs> things that we shouldn't do. But if we do a little bit of exercise, we think if we do a little bit of good, that will offset the bad. Hmm. And sometimes that slips into our faith life. Hmm. And instead of pursuing Jesus, it's like, well, I did something bad. Let me do something good. Yeah. And it's like somehow my merits will be enough. It, in my life, I've had that challenge that there's no offsetting my bads. Hmm. There's only the mercy and grace of Christ. And my response is That's a good. pursuit of Jesus. That's good. And mm-hmm. if I don't do that, others are watching. Like, others are always watching. Mm-hmm. You talked about this accountability loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know who's watching, but they're watching. Mm-hmm. Right? And my kids are watching me. Yep. So I hear my son in the back of the car. This is a few years ago. You know, and he was figuring out words and whatever. And all of a sudden he's like, come on, man. (laughs) Come on, man. Come on, man. He just keeps going through these different pronunciations of come on, man. (laughs) And it's just like, whoa, he's saying exactly what I'm saying. I'm glad I only said come on, man. You know what I mean? And he's just. That story could be so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a reflection of me. And I get challenged by what foundations am I laying for my family, mm-hmm. for our church. You know, we've come through this intense season and it's not finished. Mm-hmm. And in our church in Ethiopia, we have other tensions at the moment, particularly around ethnicity. And, okay, how do we model Christ yeah. and not get involved in ethnic tensions that exist in our community. 
And I'm not perfect. We fall. Mm. Try to walk in the grace of God and not our own wisdom on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's in my marriage and every aspect there, you were just yeah. not always perfect. Well, I mean, we kind of feel like we're perfect, but... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. We all think we're right until we find out we're wrong. That's correct, yes. So that's our problem. <laughs> we think we're right. I think I'm right. I won't speak for you. Yeah. I think it's I'm probably right. just you. Yeah, yeah, it's probably just you. Yeah, everybody else knows they're yeah. wrong, but I think I'm right. So I know that like, whenever you're here, we hear so many stories about the gospel really exploding all over Africa and all the things that, like, we, you know, like you said, you could tell story after story after story. Do you think there's a relationship between... Um, what we've been talking about this morning about people's lives uh, being on display, uh, f- you know, showing Jesus and that being uh, a big part of the reason for that. I think so. I, I feel like I've heard some of that in your stories. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I yeah. feel like that's part of what you've been sharing. Yeah. In, in most of African culture, there's no privacy, for lack of a better term. There's, there's not this compartmentalization that this is my private life and this is my public life. You're, you're watched all the time. People will come into our neighborhood that are trying to find our house, and it's not that easy to find. You'll remember when you were there. But they'll say, like, where's the, where's the white guy? Where's Jeremy? And they'll be like, oh, and everybody knows everything yeah. about our life, like everything. We moved into the community. We had moved in. There was two gates into our house back then, and everybody was watching us, and I walked out, to, to get some vegetables. And as I walked past, there was a little barber shop. And the gentleman there is like, hey, uh, you're a believer, right? And we'd been there like a week and a half. And right away, he knows who we are, what we're about, and everybody in the community knows. Huh. So then when difficulties come, not in our life, but anywhere, everybody knows Who's the people that are at peace? Who's the people that are calm? And there's a testimony. When there's difficulty, it's like, who will help me out? And that extrapolated over a whole continent of people that will live out their faith in a genuine way is what causes a rapid expansion. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I, I want to, I, I invited you to ask questions ahead of time. If you have questions for Jeremy, uh, Pastor Aaron's got a mic. We can actually do that here too. Um, I'm going to skip to those and then we'll see how much time we have. Uh, but we never have enough time for questions. So um, so speaking of our life being a witness, um, the question came in this, uh, like this. Most o- more often than not, uh, the assumption might be that sharing the gospel for a missionary is not intimidating or scary. Um, but have you ever been scared to talk about Jesus? And if so, how did you overcome your fears? So I can tell you about the one time I overcame it or the 50,000 times I didn't <laughs> overcome it? Tell the overcoming story. <laughs> Way better for your press it, release. It, it, <laughs> so being a missionary is not, uh, doesn't mean everything's solved and there's no, I'm just, like you, living in a different context. And yes, we have fear. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you, you mentioned that question this morning, so I've been thinking about it as I sat over there, and I remember uh, a moment in another country. We had traveled to the country of Yemen. We were doing a training program, we're working, and we go out into the market, 
And the, the people that we're working with are from different nationalities, but the main couple that were driving us were from India. And I had heard some stories about other white people that had come. And their statement to us was, are you guys like those fearful ones? And I was like, what? Well, you know, the fearful white ones. And it caught me off guard that the perspective they had of Western missionaries was they're fearful. Hmm. What they teach us is fear. So when we're in the marketplace and people start asking me questions, that comes back to my mind and overcoming is like, okay, I'm not the fearful one. Yeah. I can't be the fearful not one. Not going to be that guy. I'm not, I'm not going to be carrying that label. Mm -hmm. I have to carry a different label. That they don't know me by a label or a title, but when I leave, that somebody knows Jesus. Yeah. Somebody has heard at least about Jesus. And that, yeah. that's what recollection that comes. Yeah. But it's, there, there's a lot of times that you don't overcome because that fear still, you're in a context or a community and for whatever reason, you know there's hostility. Might be religious hostility, might be social hostility. And automatically, there's that. And the perspective for me is, if I love that person more than I love myself, mm. I have to give them the hope of Jesus. Yeah. And if I love myself more than the other person, I will succumb to fear every time. And it's not a day decision that's finished. It's a daily encounter that I have to love other people more than myself. Mm. I have to see the hope for somebody else because I already have the hope. And yeah. that reality of, you remember as little kids, we used to sing that song, J-O-Y, J-O-Y, surely this must mean. I don't, but I'd really like you to sing it for us right now. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Some, <laughs> some of you are nodding your heads. Do you remember that song? Can he get a witness? Okay, you got yeah. some witnesses in the room. That's yeah. good, yeah. Now <laughs> like I realize my era. <laughs> I'm a different era than How Tracy. old are you, actually? A little older. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Uh, but that J-O-Y, silly little Sunday school yeah. song that has that truth, yourself last, mm others are more important and the centerpiece is still Jesus. Yeah. And if others don't know Jesus, do I love them? Mm. If they haven't found good news, have I loved them well? Not laying out the four spiritual laws, yeah. but actually Jesus is good news. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's humbling. Mm. That my witness is completely attached to how much I love other people instead of myself. Um so I, we have, there was so, there's so much that we could talk about. Um, Jeremy did his doctoral work, sorry, Dr. Feller here, uh, did his doctoral work in spirit-filled discipleship. And um, I know that you were compelled to do that work because you had seen so many of your peers and, and colleagues and uh, just fully walk away from the faith mm -hmm. in life. And so I was thinking about that work and how it relates to your mission work now and even the question coming in and you're talking about that. So when... You know, that, and that was from a, a global but also a Western North American church perspective, that work that you did for your, your thesis. Um, and I, I just wonder, kind of as maybe a last question here, what, what, um, 
when you when you come back to Canada, when you see this culture, you've done a lot of work studying the culture of discipleship and, and especially in the Pentecostal and charismatic circles. And uh, when you think about that, when you think about what you just what you just shared about how important it is to share the hope of Jesus and everywhere you go, what are some words that you would say to um, this local church? Like we would just love to hear or the Canadian culture, the context that we're in, how we could live this out. Maybe I know that some of the work you did was because you didn't see it being lived out, right? And, I, and like you said, you know we all fail, like no one's perfect and, and those kind of things. But if you would challenge the church in Canada today to walk this out in our context, what are some of the observations you would have for us and some, maybe some challenge, some encouragement, but maybe some challenge? The centerpiece has to be Jesus. Like if we're going to see transformation of our community, we have to be centered in Jesus. And we live in a world, not just Canada, a world that is me-centric. And when I'm centered on me, I'm centered on what makes us different, what I don't have that you do have, all of those which are genuine concerns. But for us who have faith in Christ, the centerpiece has to be Jesus. Mm. And the reality is if I'm not growing in his image more every day, I'm growing away from his image. Mm. And if I'm not increasing in his image, then my capacity is decreased. Mm. And so that reality of knowing him, walking with him, you know, the fruit of the spirit is not a mystical thing out there. It's, it's action. You can't display the fruit of the Spirit without actions. Right. Like, love is not a concept of emotion. Love is an action. Show me patience. Mm -hmm. Show me gentleness. It's actions. Mm -hmm. And that calling that we have is not a call to be saved. The call to be saved for a Christian is already done. Now the call is to grow into the fullness of the image of his son. And if we're going to walk out that call, it's that daily growth. Mm -hmm. And what drew me to that study was people that I had observed growing up in the church. I, I've grown up, my dad's a pastor, a teacher. I've, my whole life has been in the church world. And you watch people rise like shooting stars and then crash and my concern was how and my conclusion is we think we've done enough I'm saved I'm filled with the spirit I've done my duties I'm okay I can sit back and say it's enough mm. and the reality is I don't yet fully reflect the fullness of his image right. and until the fullness of his image you know, spoiler alert, it's not going to happen while you're alive. <laughs> Until the fullness of his image is reflected, we're not done. We keep pressing. So this, yeah. you know, as Pentecostals, yeah. being filled with the Spirit, it's not a check mark that I'm done. Yeah. It's a doorway into this life of walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being corrected. Now, you mentioned we don't like to be corrected. Mm -hmm. I don't like to be corrected. But what's... What's better to get corrected now by the spirit where you get a smack upside the head because you're being foolish? Here we say we slap people straight, right, guys? We slap oh, them straight, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so 
Holy I Spirit, like to slap, be, slap, yeah, yeah, slap me straight, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to getting to a point where I've fallen away and I'm not hearing, I'm not listening. Yeah. I have become seared in conscience. my conscience yeah. that you read earlier. Yeah. That's a challenge for me. And I don't think that's just our Canadian context. I think that's everywhere. Mm -hmm. We have that challenge that somehow we think I've done enough. You know, and a a as somebody serving internationally, it's like, hey, I've done, a I've done my part. You're a missionary. You I must be very, very spiritual and close to Jesus. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm still that guy that, you know, my wife has to correct me because my tone is pretty harsh. Hmm. When I correct my son, I might be a little over-exuberant <laughs> in intensity. It doesn't know I mean? happen to us. Yeah, I know. Yeah, everybody no. else yeah. doesn't, but that's me. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and then, you know, I preach a sermon and I think, wow, that was... And then they're like, you know, you kind of missed the main point. <laughs> it's never happened to me. No. I, I'm, I'm grateful for an encouraging wife that points out those things. Yeah, yeah. So, so the idea here is, of, is, is that you're saying it, it literally doesn't matter what context you're in because sometimes we, we feel like it's not possible to share our faith. It's not possible to live out this witness. It doesn't matter the context. It doesn't matter whether you're cross-cultural like you are. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're Western, Eastern, African. It doesn't matter. You put yourself anywhere on the planet when we live out the principles of, of being more and more transformed in the image of Christ, yes. our life reflects him. It's not about us. It's transformational every place we go. And people see, yeah. and then they will hear. Yeah. They won't hear you just because you shout. They'll hear you because they see something. Yeah, that's good. And if your life is being transformed, there's something unique about you who have seen Christ and reflect his glory. Yeah. Wherever you live, they will see something different, whatever that difference looks like. Mm -hmm. And then they're open to hear. And then that good news comes. That's good. That's good. Um, I want to do a couple things here as we close church. Um, I want to pray this for us. And then I'm going to invite uh, Jeremy to come uh, to, uh, to be prayed over. We want to we take a moment to do that since we have him with us. Um, but let's start. Let's just stand together. Let's start and ask the Holy Spirit to to deepen this in our hearts first and then let's pray a blessing over Jeremy's life. Lord Jesus, we hear your calling. We hear the Spirit's voice. And we can hear that all of these challenges that have been given to us through your word and through the application of it here. And Lord, I ask that in my life, you would show me how I can love others more than I love myself. I could be more concerned about uh, them knowing the hope that I have in Christ than, than what, what my reputation might be or, or how I might mess up the, the giving of the message or, or all, whatever the, the fear that comes up in me. God, I pray that we would be known here in this church as, as a people who are, just, uh, who are having Christ on display in every single thing that we do. And that it would be so obvious that uh, this is not a place about us. It's a place that, that you are center, Jesus, that you are Lord, that uh, you have the, the say in all that we do. And we want that to be true in this local church. We want that to be out in our lives, in our families, in every place that our lives touch. And so I pray that for each one of us, however you would want us to respond, we invite you, Lord, to challenge us. Holy Spirit, challenge us. We're listening. 
as uncomfortable as it may be, we want to receive it and then walk out in action the calling on our lives to share the true gospel with everybody that we meet. Give us that kind of ministry that our lives would be centered on you, Jesus. So we thank you for your word and for the challenge of your word. And we pray these things for ourselves and one another in your name, Jesus. Amen.